0: What is up? I am Evan Lovett and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, episode number 19 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. And I am not coming to you from the I Am Studios. I'm on the road, stuck in a hotel. But we're dedicated, and the In A Minute production team can work wonders. And on that note, we have a wonderful episode for you today. So I'm going to jump right into the rundown. It's going to be a little bit different of an episode, but it's dope. I'm going to do a deep dive into one of my favorite narratives of Los Angeles, a city where the American dream thrives. These are three stories, three inspirational stories of the American dream in Los Angeles. And this one's going to focus on three food-related American dreams. The first, it's a place that has some of the best sweet and savory items in Los Angeles. And it's a place that almost didn't exist because when the founder started, what she was doing was illegal. She had to hide the baking and mixing equipment and barter her creations for food rations. This is truly an American dream story that you won't want to miss. The second is the first black owned hamburger chain, which was made even more significant since it started before the civil rights movement and it thrived and it's still delicious and it's L.A.'s own. Lastly, I'm going to get into a grocery store, which happens to be my favorite. I call it the theme park of grocery stores. It started as a tiny carniceria in the San Fernando Valley and has since grown into a regional empire. Let's get into it. Okay, so first American dream story coming from Los Angeles, Porto's. Not only is Porto's the best Cuban bakery in Los Angeles, it's the top-rated bakery overall in the United States. Now, that's according to Yelp and also according to the people who flock to any of their half dozen locations. And I know when you see those Porto's boxes at kids' birthday parties, offices, you get excited like I get excited. This place is legendary in Los Angeles. But what makes Porto so cool and worth celebrating is the story of Raul and Rosa Porto. Listen to this Raul and Rosa Porto immigrated to Cuba. Well, they repatriated back to Cuba because they had moved to Spain, but they were originally from Cuba. So they went back to Cuba in the 1950s and Raul found a job at a cigar distribution warehouse and Rosa, who had a business degree, she was an office manager at that same cigar company and life was good in their land of milk and honey. But when Fidel Castro rose to power in 1959, Raul lost his job and he was sent to a labor camp. Rosa also lost her job And she was left to fend for herself and her three children, Betty, Raul Jr., and Margarita. So in 1960, the savvy businesswoman Rosa launched an underground baking operation in her house just to survive. Now, her mom was a legendary baker throughout Cuba. So her mom had these recipes that she had handed down. And using her mom's tried and true recipes and her trusty sunbeam mixer, she made yellow sponge cakes soaked in simple syrup and rum and filled with custard. Man, that makes me hungry just thinking about that. And she also made meat pies, pastel de carne. And now, right away, this made her a hit in Cuba. And her clients would bring her the ingredients, eggs, flour, sugar, to make the cakes. And they paid her with government rations, pigs chickens rice and beans remember this is castro's cuba this is true communism right this was a black market barter and trade operation and police would come to raid houses they they didn't like these underground businesses but the tight-knit neighborhood protected rosa they would hide the cakes and baking appliances so she wouldn't get caught they wanted this food it was so good and the Portos lived this way for a decade in cuba before they were approved to relocate to the United States. So flash forward to 1971, right? And the family emigrated to Los Angeles. And by this point, Los Angeles was one of the major Cuban population centers in the United States. And Rosa's reputation preceded her. So before she even landed, on the plane, a Cuban immigrant that she met placed an order. I mean, that is called fortuitous. And for five years, she would run her business out of the family's small apartment near Sunset and Silver Lake, the intersection near Echo Park. She baked day and night. Betty, the daughter, said that she and her siblings would go to bed late because their beds were used as cooling racks. I mean, that's how much business they had, but also indicative of the tiny space that she was working with, right? So in 1976... Rosa secured a $5,000 loan and she opened her first brick and mortar spot. This was a 300 square foot shop at Silver Lake and Sunset. This was the first Portos. This is LA legend right here, right? We're talking almost 50 years ago, a 300 square foot shop. And by 1982, the store got big enough and popular enough that she was able to relocate to Glendale into a nice size spot that's still there to this day. And by then, Betty had graduated from college and along with her brother, who was an economics major, they immersed themselves in the business. So Rosa and Raul had the the talent and the recipes, but it was Betty and her brother and her siblings who decided to expand the business and they took the advice of consultants and business professors and they divided the restaurant into departments, hired managers and they started controlling costs and labor. I mean, real business stuff, MBA stuff, right? And an inspector and a mystery shopper was brought on to make sure everything was regularly up to par, complied with all the health department codes and managers were held up to, to standards to receive their bonuses. I mean, you go to Portos to this day and yes, those lines are long and oh my God, Portos, I don't want to leave in line, but it's a machine. It's like clockwork, right? So- this started 40 plus years ago where betty and her siblings were making sure portos runs smooth well-oiled machine right and now portos has a test kitchen and four chefs whose job it is to constantly dream up new pastries and savory treats and now we're talking 2023 Portos has over 100 items on any given day, spanning multiple types of cuisines, right? The the, the evolution was the plan from the beginning. They didn't want to just serve Cuban stuff, even though that is their specialty and it is amazing. But they serve Mexican conchas, donuts, anything people in the neighborhoods wanted. And we know Los Angeles is so diverse, right? And you're talking Silver Lake Echo Park in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, this is real, like, you're getting an amalgamation of all the cultures, right? And moving to the Glendale area, they added danishes and muffins, and they would listen to feedback from their increasingly non-Cuban clientele, and that's how they built the loyalty that endured throughout the decades, right? And I mean, you know Porto's, you see Porto's. My my mouth waters when I pass by a Porto's, and the quality is amazing, the food is amazing, and you want to talk American dream, listen to this too. Porto's now donates all their unsold pastries and breads to the union rescue mission, to first responders, to troops, to needy families. And they say that family is at the heart of everything that they do. And the communities where the bakeries reside are extensions of their family. And now I was fortunate enough to meet with Betty Porto. I'm going to repost that episode of LA in a minute. Like, One of my first opportunities, this is when I was about four months into doing LA in a minute. She granted me a sit down and what an amazing woman. What this story is inspirational. This is the consummate American dream. And one thing Betty kept saying was, you know, Rosa, her mom, the, the founder of Porto's, she may be gone, but her legacy will surely endure. And it's not merely for the good food but the open embrace of a city and a country that welcomed her in return. And instead of turning inward, Porto looked to the new city for guidance and she saw these neighborhoods morphing and evolving and so did she. And this is a direct quote. We came and we melted into the pot. We kept our Cuban traditions at home, but we were open to the community. And if there's something that's more LA than that, That's more American dream than that. Then you better tell me because this is the consummate American dream story. Portos, go get some pastries, go get some Cuban meat pies today. It is awesome. Okay. This is one of my favorite, this American dream story. Number two fat burger. And I love fat burger, by the way, with their fat fries, great burgers, great Turkey burgers, by the way, but I'm still a fat burger guy with the real burgers. But just so you know, turkey burgers are great too. But the story is what makes this amazing. It starts with Lovey Yancey, who is an African-American female, a single mom, who lived in a place called Bastrop, Texas in the 1930s and 1940s. And in 1946, she moved to Los Angeles at the age of 19. I mean, just think of that in itself. Let, let's just start there. A 19-year-old single African-American female moving to Los Angeles at 19 years old. That is intimidating. And what did she do as a single mom? She opened a restaurant called Mr. Fatburger. That's right, Mr fat burger 1946 this is unheard of at the time this is before malcolm x this is before martin luther king this is before jackie robinson for goodness sake and lovey Yancey opened up a place mr fat burger that had these amazing burgers using scrap metal from a partner in exposition park on Western she opened a three stool stand and this became the first black owned hamburger store in all of Los Angeles and possibly in the United States. It was at least early in the United States. This was unheard of and the burgers were good and she succeeded, right? And within six years, by 1952, she already had three more locations. This is 1952, right? The civil rights movement was not in full swing. Los Angeles was racist. Everywhere was racist in the United States. And she was officially the first black-owned hamburger chain. Now, the couple went their separate ways. But Yancey kept the business. But guess what? She dropped the mister that year. She just called it Fat Burger. She also dropped three of the locations and she scaled back to one location because she wanted to focus. She wanted to keep the quality high. And she was relentless. She would work 16 to 18 hours every day for the next 20 plus years, right? Again, a single mom, this is not a small accomplishment. This is a real big deal. And Fatburger became a humongous success. By 1973, Red Fox, James Brown, Ray Charles, Muhammad Ali were amongst the most loyal customers. This is a who's who of America at the time. And finally in 1973, she's ready to expand again. She found a former sandwich hot dog stand on the corner of La Cienega and Burton in Beverly Hills of all places, right? Think about this. Even in 1973, an African-American female expanding to Beverly Hills This is something. This is a story. This is an American dream in Los Angeles. But being in Beverly Hills, it had huge visibility. And it was close to the homes of celebrities. So guess who she attracted at this point? Elizabeth Taylor. Johnny Carson. Neil Diamond. Some legends at the time, right? And she was smart. Lovey Yancey was so smart. By 1981, she began franchising. So by 1985, there were 15 locations. And by 1986, Fat Burger gained a reputation because these burgers were so good. They're so good. When you go to one of the real Fat Burgers, they are delicious. And one of her grandsons at this point had died of sickle cell, sickle cell anemia. So she donated $1.7 million to the City of Hope. I mean, what a person, what a legacy. And she was making money, and she was making hamburgers, and she was a success. So by 1990, she did sell the majority of the business, but she held on to the original two locations. But Fatburger retained its celebrity cult status. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, the de facto mayor of Los Angeles. He once held a 70% stake in the chain. Other owners included Queen Latifah, E-40, David Spade, Kanye West, Pharrell, Montel Williams, y'all remember him. And to this day, the original stand on Western was designated an L.A. historical cultural monument. And when that property sold, it had to be incorporated in the new development. It's still there. It's not a fat burger, but the sign is still there. And the original seating and facade is still there. And the shack is incorporated into a six-story housing unit that says fat burger. And it's reminiscent of Lovey Yancey and her success the success of a young single woman who moved at 19 years old and created something that means something in the city of Los Angeles and means something in the United States and the world. Their locations in Dubai, in Saudi Arabia, in the Philippines. Fat burgers are all around the world. And it all started with Lovey Yancey from Los Angeles. I mean, that is the American dream. Okay. Time for American Dream Story from Los Angeles, number three. This is one of my favorites. My wife introduced me to this place. It's a grocery store. It's called Vallarta. And it's a lot of fun. I call this this is a theme park. This is like the Disneyland of grocery stores. You go in there, the produce is stacked high. It's beautiful. It's colorful the music is awesome, the vibe is incredible, the prices are great and the meat oh my god, that carne asada that, that, that's the best carne asada that I know of, okay and I really enjoy Varta. and when I heard this story had to include this so check this out now, Varta traces its roots to 1965 when Enrique Gonzalez came to the United States from a place called Titlan. Now, Titlan is a town in Jalisco, Mexico. And Enrique and the Gonzalez family, they, they were raised on a, on a meager farm where subsistence farming was a normal way of life. But this instilled the work ethic that would fuel the family's success. And Enrique Gonzalez came to the United States for the first time in the mid-1960s, right? And he did so as a bracero. bracero program was a guest worker program where Mexican citizens were allowed to come and work in the United States, and it, it, it was, uh, again, a guest worker program. My wife's grandfather was a bracero, right? And he started out in the fields harvesting asparagus and tomatoes. Right. So by 1974, he opened a bar called La Cabana with $2,000. And he'd saved that money from a 14 year stint at a place called Corky's in Van Nuys. And it's funny because Corky's is still there. It's not a restaurant anymore, but it's fenced off because they're trying to make it a historical monument because of the googie architecture. But that's a whole different. Story the googie architecture but he saved his money and he opened La Cabana so after, the, after he opened La Cabana he opened a nightclub called Puerto Vallarta which is where Vallarta got its name but that club burned down and Gonzalez he decided to rent out this space instead of reopening the club and he used that rent money to start a grocery store well, actually, he started Carniceria and he took the cue from the bar's name, from the club's name, when he opened Viarta Market Carniceria in Van Nuys, 1984. Now, full disclosure, I was born in Van Nuys at a hospital called Valley Presbyterian in 1978. So I got Van Nuys in my heart, literally. And now that store, that Carniceria, was successful, right? This is the beginning of, you know, the Mexican population, the Latino population of Los Angeles, of the Valley specifically, really establishing itself. But there weren't many specialty markets, which is what Vallarta was. But they succeeded because for that reason. And with profits from that store, Enrique Gonzalez, joined by his brothers, they opened several carnicerias. And by the way, a carniceria is a meat market. So by 1990, they opened their first supermarket, also in Van Nuys, which was at the site of a former Park Lane market. And the Gonzalez brothers believed that the key to Vallarta's success was to combine customer service with the highest quality products to serve this Hispanic community whose needs weren't addressed by these big chain stores. I mean, you go there and, and it's funny because now this is a no-brainer, right? My son loves tahine. Let's let's just start there. Tahine, takis, stuff like that. The Mexican candy, all this stuff. This is what they carry to the grocery store. And you go in a Vallarta now and you're like, oh yeah, I know all this stuff. But think about this. This is in the 1990, 1990s, at least for the non-Latino market, this stuff is like, wait, what? This is all Mexican stuff, which is great, which is what the community wanted. And it's beautiful. It's great product. And with that customer service and those products, which weren't available, you can't get that at Vons. You can't get that at Ralph's. They were selling, they were putting up big money, big dollars at that point. And now with headquarters in Silmar, Varta has 52 stores throughout California. Ventura, Los Angeles, San Bernardino, Riverside. I mean, you name it. And more than 8,000 employees. And it all started from the tiny town of Titlan in Jalisco, Mexico, and Enrique Gonzalez and his siblings. And this is a true American dream story because Vallarta is fun. It's amazing. It's so Los Angeles and it is a great place to shop and do not sleep on that carne asada. It is incredible. And that is our third American dream story coming from Los Angeles. So there's our show from the hotel. Thank you to my production team. Thank you to you for listening to In A Minute With Evan Lovett. Please DM me with your feedback, your thoughts, any American dream, inspiration, or stories. That's what I love focusing on in Los Angeles. And if you have time, click a five-star rating and give a review. The charts, man, they're very friendly to In A Minute With Evan Lovett. We're having a good time, and we're moving up every single week. And your reviews and your ratings help. So truthfully, Thank you for listening. Keep it up. Share the show. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.